As we get started this morning, I'm going to get your attention right off the bat. What about Noah? Any of you know the story of Noah? This is what the scripture says about Noah in Genesis chapter 9. It says, a man of the soil proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. What about Saul? You know the story of Saul? 1 Samuel 13, 13, he was chosen by the Lord, but the scripture says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded over you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. What about David? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. What about Samson? Judges chapter 14 says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go and get her from me as a wife. Boy, don't you love kids that just make a demand of their parents? Especially that one. Let me just say a couple of things about these scriptures. One is simply this, men, that somewhere these men got off to a good start. They entered a trial, and the trial is the trial of discontentment. And if we're not careful too, we'll be discontented with what we have. And discontentment is an awareness of those things that we do not have. I've preached several sermons on being content. I don't know if I've preached the message on being discontented or not. But discontentment, if we're not careful, will show up in our lives and it will begin to compare what we don't have with what we do have. And it's through discontentment that we fall to temptation. So men, <clears throat> this is, this is at each one of us. It's through the awareness of what we don't have that we become vulnerable to what we want. So if, if you become aware of your wife not supplying all your needs, what happens? We become discontented, and when we become discontented, we become vulnerable, and Satan <clears throat> prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. And so we've got to pay attention to this, this discontentment. The term, I looked it up, is just simply awareness of what one does not have. That's discontentment. It's awareness of what one does not have. And awareness is what fuels discontent. What is that? I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. I should have had that a long time ago. I don't know why he has that. I don't know why she has that. I don't know why God blessed them with them. He should have blessed me with them or her or whatever it may be. It's awareness of what we simply don't have, men. When I look at these these four men that I started with, all of that was just really somewhere in their life they found a place of discontentment. They started out, well, some of these were very close to the Lord. You know, David was. You know that Noah was righteous before God. You know that Samuel, um, he prophesied and he actually anointed King Saul and appointed King Saul to be the king of Israel. Samson, strong man, started off, had opportunity, but did not end well. All of these men somewhere became discontented with something in their life. They wanted something better, something greater, something more pleasurable. Look, that's how Satan works in men's lives. 
We've got to pay attention to those who have gone before and fallen because, man, if we don't pay attention to them, then many times we won't see what the enemy is trying to do to us. You know, we're fine until we become aware of what we don't have. Why do you think the commercials are trying to convince you that you need something more to make you discontented in what you have? And unlike past generations, we're bombarded with reminders of what we don't have. In the past, people replace people People didn't replace things. When things broke, when things got wore out, when they got lost, they didn't replace them. I, I can always think of my own dad. Anytime something was going wrong with my pickup, I just I wouldn't go to a mechanic. I didn't take it to anyone else. I wanted my dad to listen to it. And my dad would go out there and he'd say, okay, son, we got to take this belt off, this belt off, and we got to get over here to this water pump. And when we get to this water pump, we're going to replace this water pump and we're going to move on. And that's the way we work. I can remember back when, when Timex, I, Sunday, this is interesting, man watching from a long ways off. Matter of fact, in Arkansas, he uh, sends me a message and he says, um, is that a Seiko watch that you wear? He's watching me preach and ask if I'm wearing a Seiko watch. I remember a day in time when Timex took a licking but kept on ticking. Y'all don't even know that commercial, do you? Every one of you is just about too young to know that. But here's the truth. The truth is you could buy something, and something that you purchased, it, it lasted a long time. They didn't look and, and try to make us discontented with what we had. As a matter of fact, um, things were supposed to last a long time, and if they didn't, we fixed them. And we all have a couple of areas or weakness or interest. There's no doubt where we find ourselves in trouble. There's some stores we simply should not go into. Obviously, that's not a clothing store for me and most of you men. That's a good thing, all right? But I would just simply say, where are weaknesses? I mean, if you go into, uh, some of you really like technology, and it can be dangerous. Cars, vehicles, car lots can be dangerous. Houses, appliances, camera equipment, kitchens, books, computers, um, some of us need to avoid those things because what they do is they take our money, right? They make us discontented with what we have. Now, here's the thing. It's not the case like this all around the world. Many of you have visited other countries where not a single store that we have in the United States would survive because it's more out of need if there is a store. And they're trying, not trying to convince you that you need something you already know your needs, you see, here's the twist. Most of, most money will never reduce discontentment. You can make millions in this life. You can have your swimming pool. You can have your vehicles. You can have the right brands, but they're not going to fill the void that you're filling. The desire for stuff is like an appetite. More food does not resolve your desire for food. It's just the opposite. You have to starve your appetite. Your appetite for stuff grows as it's fed. The more you get, guess what? Usually the more you want. It doesn't necessarily supply a need. What it does is it convinces you that you need more. Your appetite for, for stuff grows as it's fed. Remember the saying, this is the last car I'll ever buy. This is the last house I'll ever live in. Well, where is forever? You see, appetites only shrink if we deprive them. That's why I believe fasting's a gift. You know, I, I had this question a couple of weeks ago. One of you men asked me, said, how come the Bible was changed in Matthew 17? It's a great question. 
It's a great question. And some of you can look this up, but in Matthew 17, 20, it says, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it should be so, and nothing will be impossible for you. But then in parentheses, in the New American Standard, in the Revised Standard Version, in the Old King James Version, it says, but this does not happen except with fasting and prayer. That's been taken out of most of your scriptures today. Because when we fast, one of the things that happens is we starve the appetite until eventually that appetite has diminished. It's not as important as it once was. The truth is you starve an appetite and that's how you shrink it. Discontentment, though, is not always bad, man. There are some things that, that are, are, we are called to be discontented in, like unhealthy or bad re- relationships, bad habits. We should never become comfortable with that. Lack of progress, distance from God, broken relationships, injustice, dissatisfaction with current sa- circumstances has led to some great things in this world. What if we could be discontent with our, or be, what if we could become discontented with our relentless pursuit of stuff and our self-centered financial orientation? What if we, what if it drove us to be free? You see, with that in mind, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time with what Paul tells Timothy about discontentment and being contented. And this is going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm just going to kind of walk us through that this morning. Won't take long, but he gives us some, some great, great advice here. This is Paul writing a letter to Timothy, a young man he has mentored. He's warming up to him about people who are about to stir up trouble in the church. So here we go. First Timothy chapter six, starting with verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So real gain is not related to things. He starts off this way. Real gain is not related to things. Great gain is not upgrading your TV, your house, your car, your 401k, etc. I put that down there because um, just last a year ago this past summer, um, Wade and one of his buddies was at the house and and uh sure enough they're watching TV and and if you had been in my house, I thought it was a big TV because you could carry it like this, you know, but it was still a pretty big TV and, and Wade was like, Dad, when are you gonna upgrade these TVs? And I was like, anything wrong with them? I mean, my goodness, our living room's not that big. You, you can sit in the couch and see, you know, the TV. And anyway, he and his buddy uh, start going after me. Well, Dad, you know, you can get like a 65-inch TV for like 450 bucks at Walmart. Da, 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 da. And I said, okay, we'll head down there to Walmart. Here's my card. Go get me a TV. And he said, uh, and I said, when you get there, I want you to FaceTime me. And then I want you to show me the TVs that are under $500. You guys take off, go on. Sure enough, they go over there and man, there's a bunch of them for under 500 bucks. And they convinced me to upgrade my TV and I love it. <laughs> but that's not the way we're supposed to live our lives, right? <laughs> Be careful who can convince you to do what you don't want or need to do. There's nothing wrong with my old TV. And now it just sits in storage. So here's the truth. The truth is, Paul is telling Timothy, look, godliness with contentment is great gain. A clear conscience towards God and satisfaction with what we have is great gain because it causes us to be thankful for the things we do have and not notice or be aware of the things we don't. 
Have you ever met anyone like that, that really their true passion and compassion in life is to become godly? And with that, that's the most contented they'll ever be or become. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So gain can't be about stuff or we live our entire lives and watchmen will gain nothing. We're not going to gain godliness through obtaining material possessions. If life equals stuff, then when we die, we lose everything because stuff is just temporal. It's not the eternal about us. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So if we have food and clothing, now I like to add one more to that. I'm not trying to go after Paul. I'm not trying to add to the word, but I know in our morning devotionals, I always thank God for the roof over our head. I think that's important, especially in the wintertime. So if we have food, if we have clothing, we will be content with that. I've asked people this question before. When were you the most content in your life? And there's no doubt it's usually when things were simpler. I mean, if you ask somebody who's got some age behind them and you ask, when were you most content in your life? What they're going to tell you, nine times out of ten, it's when life was more simple. I think even back when Alice and I first got married, I bought a half section of land out at, at Arnie. And, uh, you know, we always talk about that being our favorite place to live. It was a little old farmhouse. It was built in 1920. had a dirt basement. It was uh, nothing fancy, little pocket doors, little tiny house, but we had so much fun in that little house. Now, we weren't able to raise our kids, and of course, today, I, I look back on it and think that was a sweet time, but I would never do life without my children today. I mean, that just has added so much, but if you notice, when people talk about their past and the most content they've ever been, usually it deals with family. It deals with relationships. It deals, that's the important thing. It's not all the things. It's, it's the relationship. It's life. Almost every couple will always tell you early on when we didn't have much stuff, when we were just surviving, was one of the most sweetest times in our lives. More stuff, there's no doubt, can equal less contentment. Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into to a temptation and a trap. This is what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. Hey, those who are rich oftentimes fall into a trap. People who make living richly their objective, they fall into a temptation, and they become aware of what they don't have or possibly about what others have that have the same amount of money or possibly more. There are specific traps. Do you know what the traps are? Most of us don't, men, and here's why. That's why they're considered traps. If you knew where the trap was, you probably wouldn't step in it. So here's the thing. Everyone, there's no doubt, there's a big trap out there today, men, and, and I've had two or three of you mention this to me over the past couple of weeks, and I think it's becoming an epidemic today once again just because of the price of inflation and everything going up and the price of fuel and and people saying I still got to get to work so what what's the trap today the trap's probably credit cards so you get these credit cards they got astronomical um, interest rates to them 20 25 percent some of them all the way up to 30 percent today they don't mind but boy you you qualify you've made good payments and all of a sudden we've got a credit card that We've fallen into a trap. How are we going to ever pay for this thing? And he goes on to say, Paul says, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's a lot of things out there. 
It's easy sometimes to get our hands on money, but that money many times doesn't belong to us. Discontentment is dangerous. Verse 10, for the love of money. So Paul tells Timothy, okay, let's just get down to it. For the love of money, for the love of money. Now he, he doesn't say, well, let's just go on. So here's the thing. Too many of us believe that money equals life. And it's hard to see the love of money when we look in the mirror. How do you know that I don't just love money? I don't just want to be financially successful. Let's be, let's be real. Here in the United States, what does money offer us? Usually some type of security. I mean, I don't like it. I've got a certain number in, the, in, in our checking account, and when it falls below that, I get uneasy. I'll stay up at night. This past week, I had $6,000 stolen. You're going, how? Insurance? I'm, I'm sorry, my insurance agent, they, they go to church here. I love you guys. Y'all are working really hard for me, okay? But still, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, I get a phone call and said, okay, we can update the policy. We can do this, this, and this. But here's the thing. You got to pay $2,000 today. And I was like, today? And they were like, yeah, today. I said, yeah, but I just made two college payments of $2,000 apiece this week. That's 6000 bucks. And all of a sudden, you look at your account and you go, man, I need more money. No, I just need more faith. But yes, I do say that, Charlie. I need more money. So here's the thing. Um, we got to be careful. Remember the crazy dumb things you did uh, when you were in love? Well, if we're not careful, we'll do those very things for money. We'll do crazy, stupid things. We'll lie just to, to make a dollar to somebody. What were you willing to do when you were in love with that woman? See, those are fun stories, and, and you've done something dumb in your life in order to gain something probably financially before. But look, here's the thing. Priority says that God must be first. Because he goes on to say, for the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say the love of money is the root of evil. It's not what he says. He, he, he's saying it's all kinds of evil. It's not the only evil out there. And some people who are eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, is what the Apostle Paul says. So he said they wandered from the faith, that money led them astray, that the awareness of what they didn't have, the discontentment in their lives, led them to a place, men, of many, many griefs. Discontentment is dangerous. Verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this. You know, I love this about, about Paul. He's reminding Timothy who he is. You're a man of God. And if you're a man of God, flee from those things. Now, men, I, if you know me, I like to be around successful people. I like to see how people do life who have money, especially people who do life well. You know, if, if I were back in the days of John Wesley, I'd probably run with John Wesley because he had a couple of things that I really, really admire. One is he spoke four languages fluently. He was a brilliant man. He's out of Oxford. He loved Jesus, and he loved Jesus so much, and he made a lot of money. But, you know, if you study his, his life, um, John Wesley would wind up living on 10% and giving 90% of what he made away. He didn't have a love of money. He had a love of his God, and he understood that more money meant more giving, more opportunity to help others. So orienting your life around more can be dangerous if it's not around more of God. 
Flee one thing. This is what, what the Apostle Paul says. Flee this and pursue another. It's not natural to flee the love of money. But that's why Paul made it a command. And he goes on to say, And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Let your life be characterized by the pursuit of these things, men. This is the contentment with godliness idea. Contentment is found by redirecting your pursuit to what? Well, your new pursuit is God. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's not all the things in life. It's what God created us to be and to become in this life. Men who are full of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And that's great gain. And that great gain, men, goes beyond this life. This life is temporal. Paul says, flee discontentment. It's dangerous. Flee the wants and the desires that are so natural and pursue God. Let Him be our desire. Discontentment is bridled when you predecide systematically, men. So if I just had an application point, he's already given it to us, men. He says, pursue God. Just pursue God and pursue these things, these characteristics of God. Do that. Just pursue those things. But you have to predecide. Have you ever, before you got into a store, said, I'm not buying a thing? Now, I've done that many times with Allison. But myself, when I go into a store, do you know why I go into a store? To buy something. I mean, I, I, I probably haven't been in Walmart one time in two months. But the time that I've been in there, you know what I've been after? Something. Dog food. I don't even like my dog. Just kidding. But I mean, and if you're not careful, as soon as you walk into the doors, what do you see? You see all these coolers or barbecue stuff or things is what's it trying to convince you of you need you you didn't know you needed this till you walked in here and saw this that's what a commercial does you didn't know you needed this till you walked in and you saw this and and i tell you if i'm preaching to anyone i'm preaching to myself you know i i like facebook marketplace i like to get on there and see what a motorcycle a, a four-wheeler is bringing i hadn't bought one in years but i like to look it doesn't hurt to look, does it? Sometimes. And it would really hurt the pocketbook or your checkbook. So here's the thing, men. We need to predecide systematically. What are our needs? You know, I've been taking an inventory over the last couple of weeks of, of the house and, and our stuff. I've got everything moved over into a trust now. And uh, all the farm equipment's over in a trust and, and just moving everything into a trust. And it's supposedly supposed to do what? Protect us. Protect our investments, protect what we have, have all this stuff over into this. But, but the other thing, when you start listing out, you start realizing, man, I got a bunch of old junk that nobody's ever going to want. And then I start saying, well, do I need to go ahead and predecide systematically to start selling some of this junk and start cleaning up some stuff? I even told Allison the other day, hey, babe, maybe it's time for us to find a smaller house and let this one go. And and uh, I won't have to worry about the yard. Um, boy, that might be a blessing. 
You know, I, I, I like the space. I like what we've got. But I'm going to tell you something. When I start looking and listing, I start going, is this a need? Is it necessary? What is life going to look like for us 20 years from now? Do we have 20 years from now? And so all of those things begin to, to cause us to reflect back on the Word of God. And what is the Word of God? Well, uh, pay attention, the most important thing, to God Himself. Be a man who pursues righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Those things last forever. Invest in those things. Another thing that protects our hearts, and the final point I've got is, is giving. Giving really does protect our hearts from the wants and desires of unnecessary items. It really does. God has given it to us as a gift, and many times we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it because we're like, that's my money. No, no, I, I, I've got uh, one of you is reading a book right now. I didn't recommend it to you, but you, you were telling me this week that you were reading. It's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And, and one of the things that you told me this week is you said, what I learned in this book so far is that 10% doesn't even belong to me. And, and what God wants to bless is beyond the 10. So it's the 11, the 12, the 15%, that, that additional, that's a gift that I give. And, and out of that, and, and it's been neat to, to hear your story and to watch that. But giving is, is truly that. It blesses us and protects us from the awareness of what we don't have, from this disease known as discontentment, because the United States of America is very discontented. It's a constant correction. It's correcting our constant pursuit of more in the physical. And what we should want is more in the spiritual. So what cre creates material discontentment in you? Is it websites? Is it stores? Is it magazines? Is it awareness? You know, used to it was the thrifty nickel. Y'all don't even know the thrifty nickel, do you? That's before Marketplace. And it used to be the classified ads in the paper every Sunday morning or every Sunday afternoon. You know, what, what creates that material discontentment in us? And learn to stay away. What can you do to be less aware? Have you ever fasted? Fasted from food, but also fasted from things. Fasted from looking at things that possibly could create a temptation and awareness of maybe what we want instead of what we need. What should you be more discontented over in your life? Have you ever been discontented over your relationship with the Lord? See, discontentment's not always dangerous, but can be dangerous. And if we're not careful, it'll get us unbalanced. And it takes constant correction. It takes constant scripture reading and seeing how God would have us live our lives as men of God. So men, make sure your pursuit are of the things of God and not of the things of this world. Dear Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Father, continue to uh, minister to us as we want to be men after your own heart. We want to leave a legacy that's an eternal legacy, not a temporal legacy. In Jesus' name, amen.